Okay, I'm recording. So today we're going to go to the next portion, the next reading from book three in section three, Self-Healing, Freedom, and Enlightenment. Last week I talked about, uh, looked into chapters one and two of section three, looking again at life purpose and the chapter called Distortion and Perfection, which is... um, a more holistic spiritual or metaphysical view of, of self and identity as not only highly distorted <laughs> but also essentially perfected uh, in the true nature of what we are, our true nature. Uh, and that's a integration of relative and absolute views in Buddhism also. So <clears throat> well, I'll just jump right in this chapter called One Reason Why We Suffer, and this is uh, page 75 in the text, and I assume everybody has that. Uh, So let me begin. Tonight, an interesting idea came to me. I was wondering why people do things that make them or themselves feel bad. Why people or we hurt ourselves, hurt themselves, or suffer emotionally in whatever ways. I could see the first effect of suffering, we feel pain and sadness. And feeling sad and hurt, the most natural response is to comfort ourselves, to care for our emotional wounding, opening heart to our own painful feelings, and so it seemed clear. At least one reason why we cause ourselves suffering is to simply learn to love ourselves more in comforting our own pain. We create our pain to give ourselves an opportunity for greater self-caring. The first object of learning to love is, of course, to love oneself. The way of open heart begins with compassion for our own pain. If we learn to love more, perhaps next time we won't hurt ourselves so much. And yet, what about all the children born into poverty, or welfare or warfare-torn nations? What about all those who seem so innocent, being harmed or damaged by their society. Their hardship is not some emotional self-conflict, it's genuine social oppression. Yet, what about karma and higher self-programming life lessons before we're born? It's hard to imagine why souls would choose such a miserable life journey. Yet, if we truly are souls, even these painful lives are planned from a higher dimension. Perhaps for them too, From ancient karma we don't understand, there is the same need. The need to learn or relearn self-love, or love, and a spiritual self-choosing to experience painful lives. On planet Earth, perhaps suffering is the major catalyst to help souls learn to live in love. So I wonder, could it be we all choose personal hardship to learn open heart, to cause ourselves suffering? and encourage ourselves to learn self-comforting and thereby open heart, learning the way of love, beginning with ourselves? Surely we live in a world of great troubles, confusion and conflict, but the future world, when Earth becomes a fourth dimensional planet, will see universal love, and in the light of that great open sky, the suffering of our present time will dissolve like clouds in the sky as we finally express our natural love of all without giving ourselves more trouble. When we learn to love fully, there is no more need to create pain to learn it. And so that's the linkage between pain and love, that at a deep level, um, kind of ontologically in terms of our true nature or the mechanics by which karma, a certain kind of karma is fashioned, um, pain, pain is created somehow, or is often, or generally, associated with a distortion or lack of love. The consequences of lack of love lead to painful karmic return or pain. That pain is initially, um, you know, is a catalyst for us to make response. The most natural response is to comfort pain comfort ourselves in pain or comfort another in pain. And to the extent that that is done and truly integrated, then the person's learning love. 
And to the extent they're truly learning love or activating green ray, fourth chakra, um, there will be fewer activities in the future, or particularly, you know, speech and, and behavior. Um, the mind is more resting in open heart or kindness and care, and therefore decisions are made from a greater appreciation of love or kindness or harmlessness, and the consequences are um, not as painful <laughs> as when we act lovelessly. Therefore, there's a feedback mechanism. Um, lack of love, lack of understanding, uh, decisions based from that lack of love and lack of understanding, karmic consequences of those decisions, the decisions are decisions in made for, regarding speech and action, speech and behavior. So uh, a mind uh, confused or lacking love decides from that basis speech and behavior the karma consequences of speech of you know inadequately loving speech and behavior is called you know painful karmic return that pain then gives a, the self a second opportunity to develop love or kindness or caring for self and other uh, harmlessness uh, <clears throat> and uh, learn to in inbuild the love that was missing previously uh, as the basis of the speech and behavior that had the that led le that led to or is the basis of the painful karmic return or the catalyst of pain, which we uh, fashioned by karma by previous activity, particularly speech and behavior. So there's a feedback, and so as we learn more love, there's less creation of painful future catalyst. So that's very simple. But <clears throat> in terms of fourth chakra or fourth dimension, obviously the theory from Ra is that only those who are sufficiently heart chakra activated as well as balanced in 135, uh, called the primary rays, will be able to stand the light of fourth density. So this this same theme is continued in the next chapter called Love, Pain, Cure, page 76, which is a longer chapter. Today, <clears throat> a friend sent me a poem by Rumi, who lived in the 13th century, the Persian mystic. And so Rumi's quote, which is somebody's translation, meaning there are other translations, but this is one person's translation of a poem from Rumi. The quote, or the poem section segment is, one day your heart will take you to your lover. One day your soul will carry you to the beloved. Don't get lost in your pain. Know that one day your pain will become your cure. And so that's the title, Love, Pain, Cure. And I go on. I agree with this completely, but it's not quite so simple. Quote, one day your heart will take you to your lover. One day your soul will carry you to the beloved. Again, I agree. Someday we will be with our true lover, our most beloved soul and souls. But it may not happen in this particular human lifetime. It's not always our life plan for one lifetime to meet a perfect or a you know, perfect soulmate. Knowing our life as eternal, knowing death as just passing over, crossing dimensions. Our longing and loneliness dissolves in faith Someday we will return to true home. Those who come from light return to light. Those of light shall one day reunite in light. This is not emotional hope. It's a law of creation. Those of like nature evolve and join together. <clears throat> For those who long to meet their soulmate or feel discouraged in painful relationship now, it's very helpful to take the long view and remember, this human life is temporary and not ideal. 3D incarnation is a training, a testing, a sacrifice in service to all, but incarnation is not forever. Forever awaits us when we depart this dimension, without doubt, then our beloved appears. One teacher, 
wrote to me, quoting another teacher, there is no remedy for love but to love more. And that's from Henry David Thoreau. There's no remedy for love but to love more, meaning there's no remedy for lacking love but to love more, or broken and lost love but to love more. Brokenhearted, longing for love, regretting the past, ashamed of relationship failures, there is no remedy but to love more. Loving self while drenched, drowned in rainstorms of distress. To quote, love more is the way of self-healing, leading to release of painful mind process. It may be slow and difficult, but we have no other spiritual path. Rumi agrees. Quote from Rumi, don't get lost in your pain. Know that one day your pain will become your cure. It seems strange. How can my pain become my cure? Not rejecting pain, I accept it as my friend, even if it's quite awful. My 100% responsibility for creating it all by myself. I experience this pain due to my own emotional blockages, personal desires, and spiritual confusion. If I were more evolved, such pain wouldn't arise. But I am what I am, with no one to blame. Getting, quote, lost in your pain is the opposite of using pain for self-healing. We get lost by circular thinking, self-punishment, wallowing in emotional distress and self-pity. Lost in our pain, we fall into a dark hole of self-rejection, hating ourselves and mind process. Hating inner pain and darkness, we build ever more walls and cells of self-limitation and woe. <clears throat> but it need not be this way, says Rumi. Your pain will become your cure. Tears will fall. Our open eyes pour salt rivers of sorrow. Innocence and ignorance crying, and spiritually we are all children. Heart opens to receive the falling teardrops, and pain is my cure. Okay, <clears throat> next chapter, From Inner Seed to Outer Flower. All foundations are laid in accord with gravity, with law, with proper timing. Awakening cannot be rushed. It flows in lawful sequence and builds upon itself. All seeds sprout in the soil of self-reflection, growing naturally at their own pace. Therefore, develop wisdom from the bottom up not the top down. Begin where you are now, in present moment mind conditions. Truly helpful guidance grows from understanding and unconditional self-acceptance. Knowing mind right now, without struggle or avoidance, this is a true foundation. There is no lasting joy or peace from mere remembrance of sweet spiritual words. Soon after heard or recalled, such, wor such words dissolve and are forgotten once again. If in hearing <clears throat> we seek to run from painful mind patterns, pain is only buried and distorted. And later, after all avoidance stops, painful thoughts and feeling returns to mind again. If you hate and seek to avoid painful thoughts and feeling, they will never be finished and never be healed. Hate avoidance and rejection can never make healing. If, instead, you accept mindful, painful mind elements in self-kindness, seeking deeper understanding and taking fair responsibility, they will then dissolve, eventually, in the heart space of unconditional love and release through time by true spiritual self-healing. There is no enlightenment for purchase Healing and awakening is not given by teachers. Lasting joy blooms from your own working by steady and clear mind-heart cultivation. A brilliant wisdom speaker offers truth to mirror what's already known in deep mind. As the greatest teacher is within, the outer teacher sparks resonance with the inner guide. Yet, because we distrust ourselves and prefer outer human guides, 
we rarely listen within, and live tone-deaf to the voice of inner guide. Of course, this inner guide is higher self, your true self, the only source of wisdom. All we learn by hearing human teachers and reflecting on their words is known by remembrance and reconnection to the wisdom already present and alive in deep mind. Thus the ancients taught, Seek within, the kingdom of heaven is within you, for all is one. So please be careful what you seek, and to whom you listen, and give your true heart's trust. There are subtle liars and immature teachers afoot, and yes, now is a time of false prophets. What we seek is what we are, and what we have always been. No teacher can give you back to yourself. Only you can return to who you really are. In 3D body and human society, we forget much, doubt and grow, forget much, doubt and grow confused, but it's normal. Yet, by consistent love-wisdom being, outer mind opens the veil to welcome inner mind. From inner mind emerges awareness of all we truly are. You can purchase technique but heart opening to reality in this moment is totally free. The cultivation and revealing of the outer flower is inner work, priceless, silent, still. Okay. <clears throat> and so I just let these stand on their own. Uh, let's see. Uh, the next chapter <clears throat> is um, a write-up I did of uh, Lin Chi, or in Japanese called Rinzai. And um, I'm not even sure if I've read it before. <laughs> uh, this came. This is a write-up of a translation from what's called the Rinzai Roku, or Record of Lin Chi. <clears throat> And I may have read it before. The source is uh, Ruth Fuller Sasaki, who was an American or European wife of a Japanese Rinzai Zen teacher uh, from Kyoto. And this came out of Institute for Zen Studies in 1975. And it's a totally different approach than what I was just reading. It's uh, far from roomy, but maybe you'll find it interesting. So this is, I'm going to read it through, and you can just listen along if you like. Page 80, Lin Chi and the True Man Without Rank. One of the greatest Zen masters of all time, who spoke powerfully to awaken without compromise, was Chan Master Lin Chi Yishuan Hui Chao, in Japanese, Rinzai Gigen. His recorded sayings encounters and travels are preserved in the Lin Chi Lu or Japanese is Rinzai Roku. The the translation I'm using for this chapter is by Ruth Fuller Sasaki working with a team of Japanese and American academics published in 1975 by the Institute for Zen Studies in Kyoto. It is a scholarly rigorous work yet keeps the color and vitality of the original gift meaning the original document from the 12th century. Through various unconventional means, including shouting, beating, paradox, and personally driven reinterpretations of classical Mahayana Buddhist scripture, Lin Chi sought to awaken his students from their clumsy slumber, and yet his, quote, skillful means was but a straight, simple expression of his own enlightenment. In that way, he wasn't really trying to do anything at all. <clears throat> In his own words, quote, As I see it, there isn't so much to do. Just be ordinary. Put on your robes, eat your food, and pass the time doing nothing. This was from Discourse 18. Nevertheless, Lin Chi was famous for his wild martial style, which later gave rise to the harsh 
austere Rinzai Zen lineage of Japan, alive to this day as one of the two major Zen schools in Japan. So how can we consider him, quote, ordinary in any way? His own words suggest the answer. This is from Discourse 10. As for me, what I want to point out to you is that you must not accept the deluding views of others. If you want to act, then act. Don't hesitate. Going on. With a mind free of deluding views, his contact with phenomena was clear and direct, immediate, without hesitation, and thus his portion, or his portion of innate power, could manifest in all its intensity. This is the power of a true master, with no obscuring veil between mind and experience. Mind and phenomena mingle, freely mingle and play. His teaching, verbal and otherwise, emerges from this state of being. Novel. So it is interesting, at least to me, that for all his martial or military type power, Linchi also gave lengthy discourses. Chief among his teachings, repeated many times in these accounts, is his notion of the true man. For example, one example from Discourse 3. The master took the high seat in the hall. He said, On your lump of red flesh is a true man without rank, who is always going in and out of the face of every one of you. Those who have not yet proved him, look, look. Lin Chi here makes a distinction between body, the so-called lump of flesh, and the true agent that makes use of it. In another discourse, it's recorded, the master said, look at the wooden puppets performing on the stage. Their jumps and jerks all depend on the man behind. And this is a not unusual mm, spiritual perspective or view of ordinary humans as uh, puppet puppets by their own impulses un, unknown. <clears throat> this is the classical dichotomy between self and vehicle, spiritual agent and mechanism. It might surprise us that that his view is essentially the same as Western Cartesian dualism, the old mind-body split at the root of so many of our problems. This kind of ontological statement seems more Hindu than Buddhist, as Hindu doctrine posits a higher self-principle, or Atman, as the agent who uses a physical body. It is interesting, to me, that Lin Chi, enlightened as he was, I assume, still made use of this notion, although I'm sure he only used it as an expedient teaching tool, meaning this whole notion that there's a soul and a body, there is a spiritual, immaterial agent making use of a material, physical form. Uh, From Discourse 10, he said, This physical body of yours, composed of the four great elements, action outside. Get. You can see. Anyway, I shall go on unless they come in the window. They're just pulling down uh, Binlan seeds. This physical body of yours, composed of the four great elements, can neither expound the Dharma, Buddhist teaching, nor listen to it. Then just what can expound the Dharma and listen to it? This very you, standing distinctly before me, without any form, shining alone. This can expound the Dharma and listen to it. Understand it this way, and you're not different from the patriarch Buddha. Meaning, you're not your body. So what are you? (laughs) What are you if you're not this body? Lin Chi is really saying that the essential Buddha is none other than the one who controls the physical body. This, quote, true man without rank, has no form, and is definitely not a fixed object. The true man is intrinsically free of the basic qualities of material and mental phenomena. The one who sits upon a lump of red flesh is free of impermanence, suffering, and insubstantiality, what the Buddhists call the three marks of all conditioned phenomena. True nature is intrinsically free, now and forever. Yet, This is also the, quote, very you 
whom Lin Chi states, quote, stands distinctly before him. In the assemblies of China, Chinese Buddhism, the monks would stand while the, the teacher gave a discourse, not necessarily sit. And that's a much <laughs> standard attention while the teacher is speaking, like that. The teaching here is not too different from the Hindu conception. Buddha nature, here, may be seen as the formless human essence, not particularly different, or so it would seem, from the Western conception of soul. Actually, Lin Chi probably wouldn't consider it an eternal soul, as in the Judeo-Christian notion, so there's not quite total agreement here, but there is some sense of a non-physical being. So here is Buddhism talking about what appears to be like a self. He says from Discourse 10, Followers of the way, mind is without form and pervades the ten directions. Fundamentally, it is one pure radiance. Divided, it becomes the six harmoniously united spheres of sense, which are the five physical senses plus the intellect, five areas of contact or perception. Since the mind is non-existent, wherever you are, you are emancipated. <clears throat> A little bit different than Rumi, eh? Stated simply, each and every form that appears to be different from total pure luminosity, or light, is but a false illusory display. Only true mind is Buddha, which is itself beyond all description. And so he said, you know, fundamentally the mind is one pure radiance. Divided it becomes six harmoniously united spheres of sense, or the sense, the six senses. Since mind is non-existent, and that's the point, and um, you know, that's what we see with Maitripa and the early Kagyu lineage, <clears throat> talking about uh, Mahamudra, mind, you know, you can talk about love, pain, cure, and your pain, and your cure, and your healing, and your feeling, and me, 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 but actually <laughs> um, is an essentially formless, immaterial sentience uh, a person, a self? Does it exist? If it's formless or essentially um, boundless energy field or boundless energy uh, that has that can be apportioned into a field associated with a body or not, is that a person? Is that personal? <laughs> is it uh, Atman? Is it beyond? Is it greater than Atman? Is it something that Atman is tapping into? <clears throat> can you say that, you know, can you, you know, <laughs> why remain so personal or personally fixated when our, ex our, our true nature um, um, is, has been free all along, while everything that we're identifying as a self can it neither exists nor doesn't exist. <laughs> so, <clears throat> now that's not a call to dissociation or psychological illness or schizophrenia or grandiosity, but uh, <clears throat> these, this Buddhism goes straight towards, uh, straight, straight out of transpersonality, straight through the personal, out of the transpersonal, to the cosmic boundless. So reading again, only true mind is Buddha, which is itself beyond all description. Furthermore, the personal mind we use is but a temporary or an apparently separate expression of unified all-pervading mind, with a capital M just a temporary, quote, division into the six spheres of sense. While other Chan masters taught this same doctrine, it is the somewhat esoteric formulation that Lin Chi gives, set in the matrix of his own unique gunshot style, that sets it apart from others. Yet, as he'd be the first to admit, all his words and deeds were but empty teaching tricks. Notably, the, quote, true man is associated with light and vision, and many of the metaphors Lin Chi uses to describe true mind are visual. And going on from Discourse 13, followers of the way, he who at this moment before my eyes is shining alone and clearly listening to my discourse, this man tarries nowhere. He traverses the ten directions and is freely himself in the three realms. In traveling everywhere, through every land, in bringing enlightenment to sentient beings, he is never separate from his present mind. Everywhere is pure, 
light illumines the ten directions, and the ten thousand dharmas, or things, are one as is. For Lin Chi, realization is attained by clear perception and union with the true man, which is, or who is, that is, the one who changes not, despite all outer flux. In fact, this one is none other than the all-light pervading the ten directions. Pure mind is the true man, the Buddha, the true human agent, separate yet tied to the lump of red flesh, is the universal principle of pure light intelligence. Actually, this is a very esoteric statement, not often seen in Zen teaching, that, you know, pure mind is boundless light, and that's Buddha, or that's knowing that as oneself. Basically, you know, it's not just intellectually knowing, but having realized that as one's true nature is liberation. That's much more esoteric than, than the Zen school usually presents. Extrapolating further, we can say that this light self manipulates the body and thus interacts with material phenomena. This is actually a most occult notion in total agreement with the ageless wisdom of theosophy. Lin Chi is basically saying that true human nature, a.k.a. soul, is none other than radiant luminosity, engaged with, yet absolutely free of, body-mind phenomena. This teaching is actually esoteric Buddhism in a Chan or Zen context. And there are other schools of Buddhism that are esoteric that talk about light and uh, magical work all the time. When the pure, intelligent light identifies with transitory forms, physical, emotional, mental, or beyond, it is called a, quote, deluded sentient being. When it, or this pure, intelligent light, realizes its own self-nature to be none other than pure, formless mind, that one knows itself as Buddha. Indeed, the only true existence beyond all change, shape, and shift is this formless, boundless, impersonal awareness. Of course, for most of us, such total luminosity is shrouded by the common identification we, we make with the flux or flow of body-mind-matter. Again and again, Lin Chi expounds the same teaching from Discourses um, 14 and 15. Quote, There is only the man of the way, listening to my discourse, dependent upon nothing. He it is who is the mother of all Buddhas. Followers of the way, the you who right now is listening to my discourse, is not your four elements. This you makes use of your four elements. If you can fully understand this, you are free to go or stay as you please. It is only by direct contact with this true you, the one who uses the four elements of a dense, fleshy form, that one gains existential freedom. Since this freedom is ultimately dependent on nothing, it cannot be gained by spiritual practice, nor by virtue or good deeds. In the final analysis, there is only this true way-man, W-A-Y-man, or Tao-man, Tao-ren, this true Tao-ren, meaning way-man, because everything else is impermanent, dreamlike, without abiding self-nature. But, lest we get stuck in duality, we should also remember that this, quote, all-pervading radiance is also the true nature of all things, body-mind included, not located in some place above or beyond the personal lump of red flesh. In the achieved recognition of the true man, the one spotless and untouched by all phenomena, we regain the inner freedom that had been lost through our dependence on causes and conditions, our, quote, thirst for becoming and mistaken identification with body, mind, and thinking, with our thinking and our personality, the um, personalism, subjective personalism that uh, is contractive and um, leads to um, forgetting true nature or comes out of it. But frankly, all this discussion is still nothing but concept. And even Lin Chi's teaching of the true man 
is only used to counteract our mistaken self-identification with body-mind process. In true liberation, there's no more need to talk of inner man or outer conditions. In its most non-dual expression, real freedom comes only from realization of the true man. From Discourse 14 again, if you want, this is from Lynchy, if you want to freely live or die, go or stay, to take off or put on your clothes, then right now, recognize the man who is listening to my discourse. He is without form, without characteristics, without root, without source, without any dwelling place, yet is brisk and lively. Freedom arises when we recognize who we really are. And in our normal way of being, it is shattered when we think, speak, or act from habitual identification with body-mind phenomena. This process of identification and thirst for becoming, which is a deeply insightful teaching of uh, Buddha or Gautama himself, this thirst for becoming, is this, again, this process of identification, right? Identifying uh, with body-mind phenomena um, I am angry, I am Scott, I am, you know, here and not there. This process of identification and thirst for becoming is manifest in the endless stream of our personal tendencies, divided neatly by Buddhists into the triad of desire, aversion, and ignorance, three poisons, when we realize ourselves to actually be this free inner agent, then we become freedom itself. Uh, pause. All right, continuing. Uh, aside from the technical problem there, I'll read this again. Freedom arises, this is uh, top of page 83. Freedom arises when we recognize who we really are. And in our normal way of being, it's shattered or this freedom is really lost when we think and speak and act from habitual identification with body-mind phenomena. This process of identification and this thirst for becoming, a deeply insightful teaching of Buddha himself, is manifest in the endless stream of our personal tendencies, divided neatly by Buddhists into the triad of desire, aversion, and ignorance. When we realize ourselves to actually be this free inner agent, then we become freedom itself at the end of the path, <laughs> a long way from now. In the chronicle of Lin Chi's rugged teaching, we see a beautiful example of action without hesitation. His wild ways, shouting, beating, knocking over tables, and so on, is but skillful means in accordance with clarity without fixed root. The true man, ever and always, is free and unperturbed. In Discourse 18, we hear a teaching that sounds curiously like the Chinese Taoist Zhong Su. And I notice that the sound has changed here. I'm sorry for the Skype problem, but I have to just get through this. This is from uh, Discourse 18, a teaching that sounds curiously like the Chinese Taoist Zhong Su. Only you, the follower of the way, Right now, before my eyes, listening to my discourse, only you enter fire and are not burned, enter water and are not drowned, enter the three hells as though strolling in a pleasure garden, enter the, threl the realms of the hungry ghosts and the beasts without suffering their fate. How can this be? There are no dharmas to be disliked. <laughs> no genuine objective phenomena to be disliked, meaning... All that we consider real and solid is actually empty. And again, you know, you may understand it intellectually, but the key is realization <laughs> of, these, of the heart of these teachings. Actually, let me just see. We're going to have to just go on even if the sound is lousy here. Sorry for that. Actually, this is a very radical statement and begins to undercut Lin Chi's own previous teaching. Such dismissal, self-dismissal, and awareness of the relativity of all conceptual seeking, no matter how clear and helpful, 
is the hallmark of the Chan school. That's where you get the view, you know, the statement, uh, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him, or, um, you know, there is no Buddha, something like that. Self-dismissal and awareness of the relativity of all conceptual teaching, a hallmark of the Chan school, it is the essence of what constitutes living Zen as opposed to dead Zen, the latter being that old finger pointing to the moon. Words may point us to the goal, but pondering their mental minutia is surely not the goal itself. Two ideas stand out here. First, the true inner way man, or Taoren, is utterly non-physical, formless, and beyond all phenomenal activity. Thus, that one can never be burned, or drowned, or in any way essentially affected by physical conditions. Without intending to do so, this statement is actually not far from the ordinary New Age understanding of higher self, as a higher dimensional formless being of unity awareness beyond identification with form. That which is pure spacious light cannot be affected by the movement of the four elements. Thus, the Taoist sage, as described by Zhuangzi, is unruffled by gain or loss, praise or blame, or disaster of any type. The sage knows himself to be this true man, beyond male or female, and has fused awareness with this essential agent. He thus stands free of misfortune and the cycles of phenomenal display. Even if it's affecting the body or body-mind, um, one knows oneself as not that which is um, material, including beyond mind, not body-mind. Secondly, Lin Chi states, there are no real dharmas to like or dislike anyway. They're all but conditional mirages and phenomenal play without abiding self-nature, empty, sunya, so we need not hate anything. Knowing our innate formless self, dare I use this word, we roam freely without care. The true man is beyond form, and form itself is empty. So why not be ordinary and do nothing? Or shout, or do just as you please? Of course, acting freely, without total comprehension, and fusion with this true man can have disastrous consequences, as many a recent Buddhist teacher scandal shows. And by nature, this being in emptiness includes compassion as unity embraces all life equally, which means <laughs> desire not to hurt anybody. Regarding action and non-action, which gives us another comparison to Taoist thought, as Taoists speak extensively about Wu Wei, which is Chinese for non-doing or no action, Lin Chi states, this is from Discourse 18 also, motion and motionlessness both are without self-nature. If you try to seize it, or Buddha nature, if you try to seize it, or find uh, your essential nature, within motion, it takes a position within motionlessness, stillness. If you try to seek it within motionlessness, meaning stillness, it takes a place within motion, meaning it moves. Virtuous monks, motion and motionlessness, or activity and stillness, are merely two kinds of states. It is the non-dependent man of the way, Taoren, who utilizes motion and utilizes motionlessness, meaning who can act and who can be still. But in the states of action and stillness in and of themselves are not where awakening, you know, it's not, awakening is not dependent on either, or true nature is not dependent on either. Going on, if we try to seize upon conditioned states of motion or motionlessness within our own, quote, our own mind stream, or the so-called external environment, we're still far from the liberation and the non-dependent man of the way. Meaning, people who think that they can get awakening by endless stillness in meditation, or endless activity, stillness is not good, we've got to do activity. Uh, need karma, good karma. Both of these are um, states that arise and pass away. These two states are expressed by our ordinary self-oriented action-reaction patterns on the one hand, motion, and a quietist attachment to stillness or motionlessness on the other. 
Both of these are common forms of false freedom. Only when at last we realize the insubstantiality of all such states and drop all clinging can we utilize them freely. At that point, we begin to be a real teacher and a guide to others on this, quote, path to enlightenment. Hence, a master may fall silent, or shout, or beat, or walk away from an inquiring student, since the essential way of liberation cannot be found in any state, the true teacher undercuts all forms of grasping in the student's mind. Grasping at form, feelings, views and opinion, stillness, energy conditions, and even supersensible states. Grasping at any, considering I am that, or um, feeling one needs it, or one hates it, one must have it, or one cannot live with it, uh, or one is it, identification, grasping, and aversion, uh, all that is cut away, or needs to be cut away, or dissolved. Remaining attached to states of mind, we believe they're real and substantial. Yet that reification, and the, the definition of reification is a very important for understanding Buddhist, uh, Buddhist thought, the definition of reification here is the fallacy or false position of treating an abstraction as if it were a real thing, meaning concept is real. I say you're a bad man. <laughs> you're a bad man, Mr. What? Uh, Ron Burgundy, that strange girl on the street. To think that uh, you're just that, or my uh, reality is is completely uh, the reality of a, of a, a situation is completely encompassed within the concept of it the idea of it the, my idea of something is it it is as i say so this is reification it is as i think and it's a mistake because <laughs> reality is beyond your thinking if you hadn't noticed Yet that reification shows we've not yet met the true man of the way, meaning associated with attachment to states of mind. Following the conditioned and illusory, the seeker is still far from liberation. Although such philosophy is difficult and subtle, it's near the heart of what the Buddha taught and what Linchi expressed by his own very being. I'm sure some Buddhists criticized the Taoist notion of Wu Wei, no non-action, as just another form of quietism, an apparent attachment to motionlessness, stillness. However, the real meaning, in my view, the real meaning of Taoist Wu Wei is not quietism at all, but rather activity in harmony with ever-changing, ever-unchanging Wei or Tao of all life as it is. Like Ra had said, the crystallized healer has no will. That's exactly what Wu Wei is. The crystallized healer has no will, meaning the only one who understands Wu Wei, the Taoist sage or the sage <laughs> from any place, um, has no will. The sage, as a crystallized healer, as a crystallized being, as a being of relatively maximal, not fully, but relatively maximal balance and development of green-blue, particularly love-wisdom and green-blue-indigo, meaning uh, spiritual awareness, has no will. What does it mean they have no will? Well, the personal will and the divine will are one. The personal will follows the will of the way, the will of the collect uh, of not the human collective, but um, what appears indeed to be um, that which is best for all, and one's own true nature, which is mixed in with one's unique personality. So, one's unique crystalline um, manifestation of symmetry, of perfection. One manifests naturally in accord with that, without hesitation, naturally, like Lin Chi. That's Wu Wei. <laughs> and that's not quietism. Later on in the same talk, Lin Chi speaks of the vanity, of the very act of searching for the true man, or inner Buddha nature. This is, again, Discourse 18. Do you know who it is who right now is running around searching this way? He is brisk and lively, with no roots at all. 
Though you try to embrace him, you cannot gather him in. Though you try to drive him away, you cannot shake him off. If you seek him, he retreats farther and farther away. If you don't seek him, then he's right there before your eyes, his wondrous voice resounding in your ears. If a man has no faith in this, he'll waste his entire life. And so, you know, if you're seeking uh, liberation in stillness, uh, it moves. If you're seeking liberation in activity, um, stillness comes. Mm, if you're seeking what you think is not yourself, <laughs> then you'll never get there. If you're seeking um, liberation, knowing it's it's the truth of, of pure, fi- pure self-nature, one's own true nature is freedom, then perhaps uh, it will dawn, the sun will dawn, or eventually the sun will dawn, but uh, perhaps one will come faster to the, to the dawn. Uh, the he that is brisk and lively, no rights, no roots at all, is is the speaker. Who is speaking? Is it the body speaking? Is it the mind speaking? Is it the karma speaking? Is it higher self speaking? Who's who's the source of higher self? And and all the words. Oh, it's Salaga. Salaga is speaking. Oh, okay. Well, you can say that. Is he a guy? Is he a place? Um, all the words. Uh, believing the words is reification and it leads to obstruction. Yet the words can be helpful. Yet it's only practice that um, smashes the bottom of the bucket out. Again, to search for your true self is to deny its very presence. Right here, right now, like searching for your head with your head, which comes from the Shurangama Sutra, another Chinese Mahayana work. Searching for your head with your head. Lin Chi's description of the true man fits the ideal Chan master or student perfectly, brisk and lively with no roots at all. The, quote, inner agent has no clinging. The man of the way leaves no trace of his activity, is a phrase. That which is beyond form never clings to form, but it can cling to mistaken identification with form, meaning we may fool ourselves even if we don't obstruct the reality of our true nature. The true nature remains. The conscious mind self-obstructs <laughs> by mistaken identification with body-mind process. What is non-physical can never touch the physical, in a sense, in truth, and any other self-identification is illusion. So, Lin Chi cut through all his disciples brought him, and most certainly their view of Buddhism coming as it did from conceptual identification and not liberation itself. Discourse 21. Neither in this world nor beyond this world is there any Buddha or any Dharma. Even if such things existed, they would only be works and writings for the guidance of little children, expedient remedies for illnesses, and displays of names and phrases. Moreover, names and phrases are not of themselves names and phrases. It is you who right now radiantly and vividly perceive, know, and clearly illumine everything. You it is who affix all names and phrases. Buddha, Dharma, and all profound Buddhist scriptures themselves, this is back to my voice, these are all mere displays of names and phrases. Their concepts are not particularly important at all. What's really important is simply the one who considers them. It's no less than the true man searching outside himself for himself. The very searcher is that which is sought. Indeed, Hindu yoga says the same thing, which is a traditional Vedic saying, when the knower, the known, and the means to knowledge are unified, then there is Brahman, meaning the subject or the agent is the knower, the person who's trying to know, the known or the so-called object, so-called outside, and the means to knowledge or perception and mental process are unified, then there is Brahman. Brahman as unity. Self, other, and the 
means to identifications of a self and another or subject object when that all is one there we know godhead going on thus in all his words and acts lin chi uses expedient means to cut this is called upaya in buddhism to cut through students endless round of seeking and conceiving indeed his teaching of this true man without rank is merely another form of name and phrase and yet its goal and hopefully its effect as well is only to help the student turn his or her own mind light back upon itself reversed from its normal focus outwards into the three worlds of samsara birth and death meaning turn the light back within rather than uh, apparently out to body mind and environment uh, realizing the one who's perceiving perceiving the perceiver see the seer going on such is the drama of a true man true inner man who realizes himself as such like lin chi offering guidance by dog and pony shows for other true men who forgotten themselves running around seeking themselves in the eyes of others living lives like little children and lest we think he or lin chi is proud of his own circus act or that these tricks of the tongue are sacred word from the great sage on high lin chi is the first to gutter such fool's praise good writing scott lin chi is the first to gutter such fool's praise from discourse 19 virtuous monks at present i've no other choice than to speak so much trash and rubbish don't be mistaken even the master's words <laughs> the confederation can learn from this fellow even the master's words no matter how clear are only words compared to the jewel of true liberation realization of essential freedom and this true inner man they're just shit of course not too many spiritual teachers speak this way and certainly not today it seems most spiritual students actually want to remain as children and idolize their holy daddy the perfect guru or channel or healer or leader few teachers themselves would risk losing their devotees or ashram or income by cutting down their own hallowed words and thus few teachers are as free and complete as lin chi yi xuan hui chao most teachers still need their students and thus bind them still it is the glory of lin chi that he knew and didn't hide the futility of trying to deliver that which can only be self-generated as with gotama buddha himself the intention here is simply to help the student wake up not to create new doctrine or debate stale theory the only thing that really matters is conscious fusion in awareness with the inner one who seeks this is it can we really know this one and let go all quote guidance for little children actually it is ironic or perhaps tragic that already enlightened beings suffer so much to remember our own enlightenment but this seems to be the state of affairs in the human 3d realm overall lin chi's life teaching practice and realization can be summed up thus and this is from discourse 20 when at these words you turn your own light in upon yourselves and never seek elsewhere then you'll know that your body and mind are not different from those of the patriarch buddhas and on the instant have nothing to do this is called obtaining the dharma therefore as i go on lin chi can state without doubt also from discourse 20 As I see it, there really aren't so many problems. If you want to act, act. If you don't, don't. The final result of Chan's simplicity is freedom and straightforward living. Self-doubt and all forms of seeking, material, mental, and spiritual are quelled at last. And thus the sage becomes quite ordinary, 
disappears into the mass of humanity and soon returns to forever. Source Ruth Fuller Sasaki, Record of Lin Chi, Kyoto, Japan, Institute for Zen Studies, 1975. And that'll conclude today's reading. <clears throat> um, beautiful stuff, I think. <laughs> Lin Chi was, uh, is a great man. I don't know if he's in late six density or uh, eight. Probably he's hanging in late six. But uh, this guy was fearless and um, very, very, the, the, the kind of simplicity and um, freedom from hesitation, freedom from doubt that only comes with um, very pervasive, broad and deep realization, you know. <clears throat> no need to put on airs, no need to try, beyond trying. So that's all I'm going to do for today. Next time we're going to go into section four, which is, um, starts... The section four is called Truth, Mind, and Karma. And in that final section, four, uh, probably I'll just, let's see, we might be able to read the three chapters, uh, Loving Truth uh, and two parts on the fifth chakra, two, part, two chapters related onto the fifth chakra. So probably two or three weeks we'll complete section four, truth, mind, and karma, and I think it's pretty deep. I hope this is useful. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Lin Chi, for coming to Earth. See you later. Take care, and good night. <laughs>